Meet your Thunderbolts. The Thunderbolts? Are they the exciting new heroes the world needs? Thunderbolts, strike! Today makes at least half a dozen times the Thunderbolts have done the job we used to depend on the Avengers for. It allowed us to move among you, disguising who we really are. The Masters of Evil! In what is now becoming an old story, the Thunderbolts once again save the city. Enough of this hero talk. You will do as you're told. But... He's right. You may be wearing a Songbird costume, but underneath you're just screaming me. I can expose all of you right now. So you see, you really have no choice. You know what? We're done playing these parts. It's time to live these parts. No one betrays Zemo. Figures, just when we go in on this hero thing, our blood runs out. Avengers, Defenders, Thunderbolts, I make any team better. We're Norman Osborn's A-team, and he's the big man in charge now. This isn't the team I used to lead. You, honey, are under arrest. You have to fight for what's right every single day, bulletproof skin or not. The Thunderbolts have worked hard to change people's minds about us, but apparently we've got a ways to go. Hey folks, and welcome back to Fan Holes, justice not entirely dissimilar to Lightning. Undoubtedly our most confusingly and complicatedly named sideshow uh, in, in the Fan Holes continuum. I'm uh, Mike, I'm going to be your host tonight. And uh, justice not entirely dissimilar to Lightning is brought to you by Thor's Titty Discs. Do you remember a time when Thor had titty discs? Fan Holes remembers. Thor's Titty Discs, just like the All-Mother used to make. Ragnarok, your breastplate. <laughs> but anyway, yes, we're, this is the third episode of Justice Not Entirely Dissimilar to Lightning. And uh, with me tonight is... Yo, what's up? This is Derek. Derek WC. Thank you, Derek. Yeah, it's just me and Derek tonight. But, uh, you know, the, the format remains the same. We will be discussing Thunderbolts number three in the first half of the show. And then we will be discussing Spider-Man Team-Up number seven uh, in the second half of the show, which is, I think technically it takes place before Thunderbolts number three, but, you know. Actually, actually, when we get to it, there's there's a little editor's note that tells you exactly where it takes place, and it takes place in between issue three of Thunderbolts. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So so see, I was I, I was using my old noggin. Like that's that's why this is that's why Spider Man Team of Seven is the backup feature because <laughs> there's a little there's a little, little editor's note that says, Kids, go out and buy Spider Man Team Up Seven, which clearly didn't work on me because I have not read Spider Man Team Up Seven until tonight. So Nice. I was able to avoid the editor's Jedi mind trick. Is they're like, You will buy Spider Man Team Up Seven. I'm like Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Badawanji, no. You know, like... All right. Well, like, I'll, I'll lead us off with a summary for Thunderbolts number three. And uh, this has a cover date of June 1997. It's written by Kurt Busiek, pencils by Mark Bagley, inks by Vince Russell, colors by Joe Rosas, and letters by Dave Lamphere. And uh, the title of this story is Too Many Masters. Somewhere unknown, a frightened Holly Takahama has managed to escape her imprisonment, but something monstrous is on the hunt for her. In Manhattan, Mach 1 delivers a burglar to a local police station, claiming the crook had a partner that got away with the loot. 
Despite the criminal's protests that he has always worked alone, the police thank Mach 1 as the Thunderbolt flies back to Four Freedoms Plaza. The former HQ of the Fantastic Four is currently being refurnished as the Thunderbolt's new home, and once inside, Mach 1, Abner Jenkins, reveals that he was the one who stole the burgl burglar's loot. Citizen V is infuriated that Abe would risk their entire deception over a paltry amount of money. He points out that the Four Freedoms Plaza was given to them by the city, and that Abe doesn't properly grasp the magnitude of that. Meteorite talks their leader down as elsewhere in the tower, Atlas and Techno test out the communication systems. Atlas calls their liaison to the mayor's office, Dallas Riordan, and she brings a developing situation to the T-Bolt's attention. By the docks, the Black Widow is currently battling a conglomeration of supervillains that are calling themselves the Masters of Evil. Techno and Atlas know this is something to bring to Citizen V's attention, and soon the entire team is on the move to confront the group that has apparently appropriated their interior appellation. That's a lot of alliteration, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> on the way, Citizen V converses with Atlas and is quite keen on learning who is behind this new group of masters, considering them pretenders to the name. Outside a warehouse on the docks, the Black Widow is holding her own against the new masters, who comprise Claw, Tiger Shark, Mankiller, Flying Tiger, and Cyclone. The T-Bolts arrive on the scene and Citizen V demands to know who the leader of this team is. On cue, the Crimson Cowl appears and introduces herself, then blinds everyone with a flash from her cloak that allows the Masters to retreat. After they regain their vision, Citizen V addresses Black Widow, who isn't very pleased with their interference in her investigation. She's planning on tracking and taking down all the Avengers' former foes, and she tells the, thun the Thunderbolts that moves are being made to consolidate the Underworld now that the Avengers are gone. The warehouse stores some ill-gotten gains that the Masters are supposed to retrieve. Widow doesn't want anyone screwing up her mission and tells the team to stay out of her way before making a quick exit. Citizen V files the Black Widow's intent away for another day and has the team destroy the warehouse, sinking all illicit goods within into the water and denying them to anyone who is seeking them. It also serves to make the new Masters of Evil look bad, which suits Citizen V just fine. Back at, the, at HQ, Citizen V as Baron Zemo uses his own underworld contacts and determines a location that they can find and ambush the new Masters. Mach 1 catches up with Songbird, wanting to know why she fled from him after they kissed last issue. Songbird tells him that she's scared of getting close with anyone because they end up dying on her, but Mach 1 assures her that holding her feelings in isn't the answer. He admits that he's starting to think there are more important things in the world than respect and fame, and he thinks it's because of her. The two kiss again, but an alert sounds through, throughout the tower, and they know it's time to go into action. At the Cloisters, an arms deal is taking place with the new Masters of Evil overseeing it as security. The T-Bolts show up and another battle is soon underway. It goes poorly for the T-Bolts at first, as Claw recognizes Songbird as using his own solid sound technology and begins to immediately overwhelm her. Mach 1 is outclassed in a dogfight with Flying Tiger, Atlas can't lay his hands on the nimble Cyclone, and Techno and Meteorite have trouble fending off Mankiller and Tiger Shark, respectively. Citizen V takes on Crimson Cowl, who is able to manipulate her massive flowing cloak as a striking weapon, as the arms dealers decide to cut their losses and escape. 
Techno is sent flying into a container of their merchandise and decides to put it to good use. Using his tech pack, he assimilates all the nearby high-powered weaponry and brandishes it against the new masters, bringing the battle to a stalemate. Citizen V can't help mocking Crimson Cowl for her second failure, and goes on to deride her team for daring to call themselves the Masters of Evil, when they're apparently nothing more than someone else's hirelings. Cowl vows swift vengeance against the T-Bolts and unleashes a flash from her cloak again, which turns out to be a teleport flare, transporting her team out of danger. As the T-Bolts recover, the arms dealers who attempted to escape are thrown at their feet, having been captured by the Black Widow. She coldly regards the T-Bolts, but leaves without a word. Citizen V knows that she might be a problem in the future, but can't deal with it right now, as Techno says he's receiving an intruder alert at Four Freedoms Plaza. The T-Bolts quickly return home and find a desperate, frightened teenage girl being held by their automated security system. Citizen V switches it off to ask the girl what she's doing here, but she vaults with superhuman agility away from them and raises her fists, which are crackling with bioelectric energy. Holly Takahama, her eyes aglow, demands to see the Fantastic Four. And that's where the issue ends. So this is probably, like, aside from issue one, the other earliest issue I read, because I missed issue two, and I wasn't able to read it for, like probably a long time afterwards which i think i mentioned last episode but uh yeah like i think this was cool because it, it kind of it sets up like the anti-team gimmick i guess where it's mm. like well, you know here's here's a bunch of like if the t-bolts are like really villains in disguise well here's like a team of actual villains who are gonna you know challenge them as heroes but they like they're not in on the secret basically so like yeah i thought yeah. that was pretty interesting like an, a good setup yeah i i and i think there's a lot to sort of unpack with the 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 as as citizen v calls them the upstart masters of evil because there's there's lots of different villains that are part of that group and everything i mean i think i think the one that seems the most well known to me is claw i guess just because he's a fantastic four villain he was in secret wars he had a bunch of you know action figures and different things like that so like i i kind of feel like he's probably you know he's been on some animated series and now, and stuff now he's like a that. movie star and and now he's a movie star larry so he, he's probably the most high profile of of all the upstart masters of evil. Quite the entourage. You got a mixtape coming out? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Actually, there is one. Yeah, I'll send you the SoundCloud link if you like. Hey, Dave, can you get the link to Please, the Please, don't make me listen to your music. I guess, like, it's funny because, like, some, some, some of these guys stood out to me, but, but it's, like, it's kind of, like, for weird reasons, like, because I've got... I've got man killer on my avatar and it's like, you know, she was like one of those like kind of, she was like the evil version of the women's lib movement in Marvel, you know, where she, she ran around like, you know, assassinating like, you know, politicians that didn't believe in, in the, you know, equality of women and, and, you know, the, the women's lib movement type thing. So like, there's this funny thing in like the original Marvel team up where she's like, you know, 
I think she she runs into her other sisters and they have like a man who's bodyguarding them and then and then they're like you don't understand like you don't you don't have to rough him up like he's on our side like we hired him and she's like he's a man baby and men are dirt you know and she like totally like kills him and everything <laughs> and so like like she's kind of got that whole like uh, like Ursa or Feora from like the Phantom Zone criminals. Like she, she just hates men and everything like that. So it's like, it's interesting. Like Bagley gives her a pretty cool redesign. Although I, I don't know like too much about like, cause I, I think her original power set, like I guess she got bigger, but like it was also in part due to like an exosuit that gave her, her powers. So I'm kind of confused at like how she, like, even in the original story, like, the exosuit covered her whole body, but she did she did sort of have that, you know, Hulk rampage, you know, She-Hulk-Hulk kind of dynamic where, like, she was frail and then she got bigger, you know? Like, so I, I don't know how that works with the exosuit exactly, and I haven't read enough of her appearances. Like, the reason why she stands out to me was because... I, I adore Web of Spider-Man Annual 8, and there's, like, a one-page thing, which is that that's what my avatar is from, where it's like, hey, kids, like, remember this for, like, there was a whole thing of, like, forgotten foes of Spider-Man, where it was, like, Willow the Wisp and the wheel, you know, like, the big wheel and all, all you know, all these kind of, <laughs> like, Z-list, like, Spider-Man villains and everything, you know, Cyclone and, you know, stuff like that. So it's like, it's like, that's why, like, she sort of stood out to me, because I'm like, oh, yeah, I, you know, I remember Man-Killer, because she was, like, in one of the earliest, you know, or, or at least most impressionable Spider-Man comics that I had read, you know, as a kid and everything. Like, Web of Spider-Man Annual 3 was a, like, spinner rack comic. And that that was one of those comics where it was, like, sort of like my Bible for Spider-Man. Like, that's, you know how Justin says he read comics until they, like, fell apart? Like, that that's kind of one of those comics for me, where it was just, like, anytime I had a question about Spider-Man, it was, like, I would go back to Web Annual 3 and be like, this is going to tell me, like, what I need to know type thing. So I, I was always kind of keyed in on that, and that's why Mankiller stood out to me, even though, I mean, she's probably not very well known among this conglomeration of, of villains and everything. And they even made... They made, like, a new Cyclone for this. Like, he's, like, a French guy, I guess, just to, I don't know, have that weird Alpha Flight team dynamic where it's like, look, he's he's speaking French words. Like, he's a totally different character. Like, I, I don't know. That's that's kind of the vibe I got from the new Cyclone or whatever. Hey, I just kind of remember, like, the original Cyclone as being sort of a goofball. Yeah, and like, yeah. I don't, like... Wasn't he killed by the Scourge? Like, wasn't he one of those guys who, like, the Scourge, like, mowed down in the villain bar or whatever? Like, the original one? He may have been. I don't... Well, I guess we could find I out just, real like, quick. I, all I remember is, like, when he'd show up in Spider-Man, it would just be, like, you know, he'd be the... He'd have the stereotypical, like, French accent and, like, uh, I, I just... And uh, they kind of carry it along that tradition with this new Cyclone, but... Yeah, like, yeah. I, but at least, like, this new Cyclone has a much cooler design, I think. Like, like he has, like, he's got a Mark Bagley, like, upgraded, like, cool design, so. Yeah, yeah, he was, he was killed by Scourge. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. He was, he was in the bar with no name when Scourge was taking out, like, bad guys and everything. But, yeah, so that, I guess this is, I guess, Kurt Busick's Band-Aid, you know, like, he, he made a, 
he made a, a new cyclone, so it's like yeah. another Frenchman taking up the mantle of the yeah. the villain yeah, like, and everything. He like like both Cyclone and Mankiller like become kind of reoccurring characters in Thunderbolts as it goes along. And yeah, like, it seems like, like it seems like this version of the you know the upstart masters sticks around for a while. Yeah, you know, but it's they, it's like funny by like. You know, like, I think the, the 60s or the 70s of Thunderbolts, it's like, it's a running joke where it's like, oh, Cyclone got away again. And it's like, you know, Songbird's like, yeah, we're experts at watching Cyclone, like, get away. Like, you know. Yeah. But, and, like, as for Mankiller, like, I had never heard of her before. Like, I saw her in this, like, uh, issue. And, like, like it's funny because, like, she, she is a reoccurring character, like I said, in this book. But she becomes, like, one of the main characters for, like, the dreaded fight bolts issues. Mm, like, mm. and I don't know. It's also kind of funny that, like, uh, obvi- like, later on, like, they, I guess, it, like, it's, you know, the early 2000s, late 90s. And you wouldn't have any trouble with this sort of thing, like, nowadays. But, like, it's, like... Th- she's a lesbian okay like obviously but it's like they had to treat it with like kid gloves and like they just kind of had to hint at it like throughout the issue because or throughout the uh the like first half of the series basically and like i I just think it's kind of funny because like you know nowadays it's like representation is like everything so it's like if you got a you know a gay character you, you know you don't that's not something you like are subtle about i guess but like um i remember in the 30s maybe like mankiller becomes like a bartender and like like she becomes a bartender at a bar like atlas frequence and she's got like pins on that say like i love xena and i love like the mm. indigo, the indigo mm. girls and stuff and you're like well you know what that means basically <laughs> but, but it's, I, I just think it's funny that it's like they can't like come out and say it even though this is like not even like this is like 20 years ago maybe but it's yeah. funny it's kind of like they retroactively made i don't know if you're familiar with the character but there's a, a apocalyptian character that teamed up with Superboy in the early issues of like the the Connor Kent series called Knockout and then later when she was in the Secret 6 uh series like Gail Simone kind of you know basically retroactively made her like the uh, scandal savage's lover and everything so like that it, it's like one of those things where it's like if if you telling me the the full character arc of man killer you know like it's like oh okay like that seems like that's like an archetype that was appropriated by like another and and they're very similar characters i mean they're both kind of you know uh, herculean you know women that have like super strength and stuff and they both kind of have like red hair and you know so i was like oh okay that's kind of that's kind of interesting yeah and then yeah like for as for the rest of the team like uh yeah, like, Claw makes, obviously, a good foil for Songbird, like, uh, since he's the one who, like, created her technology and all that, and, yeah, like, uh, you know, he's, like you said, he, he's, his status is, he's probably the most famous of, yeah, that yeah. entire team, so, like, yeah. and, um, like, where do you, where is Flying Tiger from, because this is, like, Flying also... Tiger, the, the reason why you don't know who Flying Tiger is, is because... He is the arch nemesis. Well, arch is probably too generous, but he is a nemesis of one of the greatest Avengers ever, Michael. 
Jack Spider of Woman. Oh, okay, no, I thought Spider you were gonna say Jack of Hearts. No, no, no. Spider Woman's. Ah. Like, like he, he's he's kind of like you know you know what's weird about this is like he in this it it almost looks like he is a tiger kind of the way Bagley draws him, but like that's actually supposed to be like a mask. So I don't know if that comes across or if you ever knew that or not. But like I, I never yeah like I never exactly knew what his nature was basically. He's, like he's kind of lame. Like he he's kind of like he's he's a dude who wears a tiger mask and he has like a glider and like his whole thing was he'd swoop down and like attack like Spider-Woman like from like you know like death from above you know and like that's kind of all he really did like so he's not I don't know he's not much of a threat I I was looking into it like I I don't remember this issue and I don't even know if I have it or not but apparently like he, he was in an issue of Iron Man somewhere in the 330s and it's possible I could have had it and it's also possible that I could have entirely never read that issue but I haven't I haven't checked it out exactly but that's kind of why you don't know who Flying Tiger is Is he supposed to be like really old like, cause like, I remember there's a specific like issue, like probably like 10 or 15 issues from now where Mach 1 fights him again. And then Mach 1's like, dude, you talk like an actual like World War II pilot, like, but that's impossible. And Flying Tiger's like, are you sure about that? Like that, that I'm not sure about. Like it's been, it's been a while. I, I know, I, I want to say like Claremont was writing Spider-Woman by that point. So maybe since it was in the seventies, maybe maybe he was, like, from World War II at some point, and it wasn't, like, too outrageous, kind of like the whole, you know, Nick Fury and and Reed Richards and Ben Grimm yeah, serving. Yeah, like, I was II, wondering then, if he was, I was you know, wondering, like, he kind of reminded me of, like, the Vulture or something, like, where it's, like, an old flying dude, you know, but I don't know, like, but, uh, and then the other, let's see, uh, Tiger Shark, uh, he's Tiger Shark is going through a '90s phase at the moment. I think, like when he was, what exactly? You know the circumstances of that? Why when why he's I, actually like a mutated like thing? Yeah, I I do. It's a little weird. It feels like this is the first time he's ever looked like this, and like it's kind of convoluted. Like I was wondering if it was like supposed to be a Busick fix for something because like. The, the chronology of it is, like, Tiger Shark looked kind of like how you normally think of him looking as. Like, with his, like, like his Marvel Legend. His Marvel like. Legend, like, with the orange and kind of purple fin and all that kind of stuff. And that was his standard look for, like, a really long time. And the reason why his look changed was because, and, and this is probably to the chagrin of some people, but I still enjoyed the series. Like, when, when John Byrne let, stopped doing the art on Namor, Jay Lee took over the book. And there was this big arc where, like, Namor kind of got, like, this gold body armor and kind of looked like Aquaman does in the Justice League movies now. You know, like, where he had, like, a big, giant, like, nappy Alan Moore beard and he had this big gold <laughs> armor and all kinds of stuff. And he was basically, like, leading all this, you know, this kind of cadre of, of random-ass people to, like, fight the evil bad guy who I can't remember what his name was. But since Jay Lee's art was kind of, you know, typical Jay Lee, you know, it was very stylized, it was very you know, relied heavily on blacks like Magnolia would do and stuff like that. Like, Tiger Shark... So so Jay Lee can draw, and he's got, like, super mega styles with the blacks and all this other stuff, but, like, he, he didn't seem... He's not one of those guys like, like Mark Bagley or like, I think, like, Tom Grummet or something, where when 
they draw someone, like they draw the textbook handbook version of that character. And Jay Lee just drew like kind of like this. I mean, Tiger Shark kind of looked like like an underwater spawn and like he was all mutated and stuff and had a bunch of blacks and had like these, it, it was almost like he was like, he was like saber tooth and spawn and like, you know, kind of like this, this ugly, you know, kind of flesh muck guy that was underwater and stuff that had like little, little hairs coming out of his head, but it looked like he was kind of horribly mutated and burned or whatever and like you know he, he just kind of looked like whatever Jay Lee felt like drawing and then you know if you read the text be like oh well this is you know I, I am Arcus Tiger Shark you know like and you're like oh that's Tiger Shark like could have fooled me but like that's that basically I guess the explanation was always the reason why he looked all funny and stuff was he got mutated and then I think like see I was trying to figure out like if this if this was supposed to be a Busick, like, Band-Aid continuity patch to say, like, okay, he he was super mutated, and now he's slowly mutating back into his classic look. Like, I, I kind of feel like this look for him, Tiger Shark, is like, it's like he's on his way back to the classic look, but he's still kind of mutated, like, and, like... I don't know how to explain this, but the reason why it gets really convoluted is by this point... Jay Lee had long left Namor, and I'm, I'm trying to remember who was doing the art. Maybe like McManus or so, somebody like that was doing the art, and or Grinberg or whoever. Like I don't know, some other artist, right? And by this point, Tiger Shark was in his classic outfit again. So it's like, <laughs> it's like I, I, and 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 then in Thunderbolts, I mean, as far as I know, he continues to use this look, you know, vaguely this particular look, this kind of like halfway mutation but also kind of having an orange and black costume as well for like pretty much for the next two years so yeah. it's like he never he never actually goes back to his classic look in this so i'm kind of like I, I don't know that i i just kind of chalk it up to you know continuity schmontinuity type thing where you know people just didn't give no fucks or whatever you know like that that <laughs> kind of thing so well, but yeah, yeah. That, that that's my best piecing together of of what happened with good old yeah that makes that makes sense to me and i'm sure like yeah like i'm sure kurt busick had some kind of reasoning to go with that like probably along those lines where he's like well we don't know so we're just gonna like fudge it or whatever so yeah it seemed it seemed like he was gonna fudge it and then it seemed like they stuck with this look for tiger shark moving forward in thunderbolts and it was fairly consistent but then if you look at like do you, do you remember that like shitty 90s crossover called star blast i think it like ran through like namor and silver surfer and like a quasar or something like like I, I i remember like that was going on like right before this or like right around the same time as this and like tiger shark was still kind of like a i don't want to call him a good guy but like he was he was still kind of like an ally to namor as opposed to like his nemesis in those in those issues like starting from the jay lee art and then to the end of that run he was not exactly he was he was kind of like you you know watch your back but he's kind of on your side type thing. Ah. But in this he's like straight up you know yeah, straight up a, super villain you know. Yeah, he's a gun for hire. Yep. Well, uh, no, that, that's interesting. I'm glad like I'm glad I have you along to like you know because I, I like I said I'm not totally familiar with all these guys so like you what? you are you are my encyclopedia. 
what what do you think about like because this is something I wouldn't have been familiar with at the time reading this. Like one, I I don't know that I realized that Crimson Cow was a women uh, a women's. I don't know that I realized Crimson Cow was a woman. Like the first time I read this, even though like I guess it's pretty obvious. Like, but I I guess I just didn't. You know, I don't know, like, you know, her face is obscured and she's got the cloak and it's like, it, it's kind of, for, for me, I think it was hard to make out her figure. But I guess if you really look at it, like, underneath, you know, the cloak, you're like, oh, look, it, them, them's her birthing hips on, on Crimson Cow. <laughs> yeah. So you're like, oh, okay, yes, clearly it's, it's, it's someone of the female persuasion. But, like, I don't think I knew... The, the history of the name, the Crimson Cowl at this point. Like, I don't, I don't think I knew all the stuff about, like, how Ultron used that identity and, and how it kind of has some kind of relevance. You know, like, basically, this is kind of like a, a huge Easter egg where it's like a callback to, like, some classic Roy Thomas yeah. stuff. Like, yeah. I don't know. Did, did you know about any of that at the time? No. Or? Like, yeah. Like, I, I think... I'm pretty sure in some Kurt, in either Thunderbolts or some Kurt Busick issue, it's like, you know, he had some kind of thing where, like, Crimson Cowl was originally, like, a, a disguise for Ultron, and then yeah. he was Jarvis, and then, you know, it was like, right, right. I don't know, it was like, and that's where I was like, oh, so that's where that comes from. You're, you're yeah, like, the, it's like, it's like, shows, shows, like, how, how prevalent, like, x-men was in the fandom back in the day because i'm like that what i immediately think of is like oh it's like the eric the red identity for the x-men you know like yeah or for the for the avengers that's the crimson cow and it's like it, it just shows how uh uninformed that was about the avengers back yeah. then i guess what's well, like she's i mean she's interesting but like i feel like they kind of well for for kurt busick's run and like half of maybe fabian uh, nissieza's run like her identity was kind of a secret and like right, they right. kind of kept teasing it and teasing it and then like when nissieza like finally reveals it like i think in the 60s or 70s it's kind of really like offhand and like out of nowhere mm. and like i guess i might as well just spoil it now but she she is justine hammer well, which is justin hammer's daughter and, like, I, the way they reveal it, like, in the comic, if I recall, is just like, oh, yeah, like, we always knew that. And I was like, wait, we did? Like, when did that happen? Like, okay, mm. well, whatever. Like, like I, I think it's, like, Silver Sable is like, oh, no, the Crimson Cowl is, like, Justine Hammer, you know? It's like, didn't you know? Like, I thought it was a common knowledge or whatever. What and I was, like, what oh. was the deal with, like, I, I, is, is that, is the stuff with, like, Dallas Reardon going to come up in Thunderbolts yeah, like, later? Like, yeah, did they, then, they like, suspect she, her or something? They, they like, Justine Hammer frames her, so they think she's oh, the Crimson Oh, okay, so Cowl, she's, she's but, like, yeah. the, she's like the Lefty Donovan or the Flash Thompson yeah, to yeah, Crimson Cow's Hop. It gets, it gets really murky and kind of confusing, like, later did on. You, we'll... Did you, like, because uh, I know you, I mean, I kind of read the book for, like, the first year or two or so, but, like, you know, or probably, like, year year and change, almost, but I know, I know you were kind of, like, more of a loyal reader, and you kind of read through most of the run, but, like, were you like speculating during this like like when when you know how you said her identity was unknown and they tried to play it up as a mystery like did you did you sort of have ideas of who you thought it might be like since since you kind of you kind of indicated like you were kind of disappointed at at the ultimate reveal that it was Justine Hammer like did you was there someone in mind that you had that you thought would have been cooler or or somebody you suspected her to be not really because i think like <sighs> 
uh, like Kurt Busick, like while he like hinted that she might be someone, like it was never like a huge mystery in the book. Mm-hmm. And then Nicieza, once he started doing that whole like you know framing Dallas as her, and like uh, no, I think Busick started that. Like he had her frame Dallas as her, but then it turned out Dallas wasn't really her. And then like uh, I I don't know, it just kind of got like the mystery kind of got away from him, and then I think that's what led to like the unsatisfying reveal. But, like, I don't think I ever suspected, like, like I, I would say that Dallas is probably the most likely suspect, if you were thinking. Like, like if, if you yeah. thought it was a fair mystery, like, like yeah. you've been you've been introduced to certain supporting cast and you're like, well, we know it's not Franklin Richards. You know, we know yeah. it's not, you know, we know it's not any of these other people that we've been introduced to so far. So it's like we, we know it's not, um, you know, uh, uh takahama you know what i mean like yeah. like so it's like like she's like, the only female like character who is not already in a like plot fulfilling position basically. Right, right like so you know you know what i was wondering about too was like i was like retroactively like trying to like make myself pretend i didn't know who the crimson cow was and i was like you know what might have been cool is like they revealed it was like jacosta gone like evils or something to like tie it back to the whole Ultron, Ultron Crimson yeah, Cal- yeah that, that would be interesting like yeah. I don't know like like that was something I was thinking of where I was like oh that that might that might have been like fun even though like at this point that's clearly like unfair because yeah. it's not like it's not like anybody's ever planted the idea for that but I mean you could have easily had like some kind of you know oh and by the way you know like remember that time that we you know gave Jocasta a high five or whatever and then and then it wouldn't be like so out of left field and then I guess I, I think it's probably worth mentioning because you you kind of went into this in the synopsis when they when they basically bust up the the warehouse and like destroy all that you know I guess loot that the upstart masters are gonna get like in between that like w- basically when they when they destroy like all those crates and shacks and everything on the pier like then it says the next page says days later. And then there's the little asterisk that says, you know, during which the T-Bolts meet Spidey and Spider-Man team up number seven on sale soon, Tom, you know? So it's like, yeah, it's like, that's the whole, you like, well, see, that, that makes, that makes a lot more sense because like, I was kind of wondering, like, if I was like, I was like, if, if Spider-Man team up takes place before this issue, then it's like, like Mach One comes to like a sort of major realization yeah, yeah. at the end of Spider-Man Team Up, but in this issue he's still like stealing money from like burglars and stuff. And right, right. Like I was kind of like that doesn't kind of like that doesn't really jive, but like I guess it does jive now like with this setup. So yeah. Yeah, because cool. because because he did it in that opening sequence, and then days later, like now he's he's talking to Songbird and kind of doing the whole like. Now that I've gone through some of that stuff, which we'll get into in the second half of the show, he's like, he's even more like, I I mean, I guess he was always coming on strong to her in those early issues. But this is this is kind of like coming from like a different place, you know, like where he's kind of like, you know, without, you know, kind of, you know, revealing too much of what happens in Spider-Man Team Up 7. It's like he's. He, it seems like he's almost in a better place, and like they, and she seems like, because because I I think she was kind of, I don't know, not standoffish, but just a little, a little kind of nervous about the whole thing. But it seems like she's, you know, b- based on things that happened in Spider-Man Team Up Seven, 
it's like she seems a little more into it and she kind of kisses him back and i was like that's the first time i sort of noticed that where it's like oh like she you know like like you may have had some questions where it's like oh is this just a one-sided thing from abe you know but now now it's like to me i i kind of feel like oh no no it's clearly not like she's she's happy being with him too you know like so i was like oh yeah. okay you know yeah that makes sense what'd you think of like black widow's like performance here like i, I kind of like this this kind of starts off a mi- very minor subplot that like culminates like i think in issue nine where black widow has suspicions about the t-bolts and stuff but um she's still wearing her like 90s era like crossing right. era avengers yeah, costume she's, she's kind of got but... that that diodato costume and everything yeah, i mean but... the, i i think it's i think it's believable like she takes out like the 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 arms dealer guys who clearly aren't of any kind of superior power set or whatever and and she comes off well like she looks really cool like in the shadows and then she has that glare and jumps off into the moonlight like it's a very you know uh, dare i say it you know it's a very batman-ish type you know moment for her so like she she comes off cool um I don't know that I necessarily like it's funny how she's like stay out of my way and all that kind of stuff because it's like I'm I'm kind of like if the Thunderbolts didn't show up I'm like do you really I mean look I get I get that the flying fucking tiger is like the mort of morts <laughs> right but come on like the man I mean like the man killer is like you know I don't know. I'm not looking at the Marvel handbook, but she's at least a good 10, 20 ton range yeah. person, if not more. Right. Tiger shark fights with freaking Namor for God's sakes. And, and the claw, like, you know, claw fights, black Panther and the fantastic four. So I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, like the, the, the notion she was that out, she was outclassed. The, yeah, well, the notion like... that she was going to take down all four of them by herself. Like I, I think she's, like, so... I mean, I guess you could play with the psychological aspect of it. Like, she thinks she failed the Avengers or something, and maybe she's looking to get herself killed, you know? But it's like... I I don't know. Like, I think it's believable in terms of the story. Like, she's going to get overwhelmed, and then the Thunderbolts come in, and, like, she plays it off like, I didn't need your help, but I kind of think she did. And then at the end, she gets to look cool, which is fine because the Thunderbolts take out these other, you know, masters themselves. They have a fight, you know, between, you know, you know, kind of like mano a mano, kind of like at the end of G.I. Joe the movie, like everybody faces off against everybody else type thing. And then, you know, like you said, you know, techno fixer, you know, basically, you know, kind of out text them all and kind of makes it this like, you know, Mexican standoff. And then, you know, widow was there the whole time kind of from behind the shadows. And she grabbed some of the, you know, the loose fry that we're trying to make a getaway. And like, that's, you know, to me, I'm like, that's fair enough. Like I, I find that believable, but you know, I, I, I think I'd have to apply some kind of psychological thing to her, like where it's like, she, she's kind of in over her head and like she maybe has a little bit of a death wish. Cause I'm like, it's like, if it was her trying to like take out like 
flying tiger by herself, then I might be like, okay, this is this is doable. And even if even if she was trying to go after each of these guys one on one, and she had a bunch of prep time and all this kind of like you know plans within plans or something, you know, she was gonna like I don't know chloroform man killer and like I don't know like dehydrate tiger shark or you know you know I don't know put claw on a sound freaking glass or you know whatever whatever you know that reed richards built or you know whatever techno babble you want to come up with to explain why she can beat all these guys but i just don't buy that she could have she that that there was any way she was gonna you know stand up to those guys without the help from the thunderbolts i think it was just a way to get them all sort of on the scene you know where it's like oh look you know the only one of the only you know remaining avengers is trying to fight the good fight so you so you guys better head over there and, and encounter these, you know, these upstart masters of evil. I think my favorite part of the, of the story, though, it's like I always love when, like, Citizen V goes into stuff, and it's like when, when Abe steals that stuff, I love when he's like, do you have any idea how much this cost? But still, they gave it to us. Gave it to us! And you jeopardize that for a pathetic $7,000? You know, like, like I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I could totally like hear Zemo like giving him the third degree over that because it's like it's super funny. He's like, he's like, do you realize how much the Baxter building and all the technology in it cost? He's like, and they gave it to us. You know, like <laughs> he's like, don't fuck yeah. this shit up, man. Yeah. You know? That that was fun. I like like even Abe is kind of like I like his reasoning. He's like, what? I should have just given it to the cops. <laughs> like, you're just lying there, dude. Like. Like, yeah. still thinking like the Beatle, basically, but, yeah. But, um, yeah, I liked that, and I liked Citizen V's, like, verbal takedown of, like, the Crimson Cowl, like, at the end. Like, you know, you, you call yourself the Masters of Evil, but you're, like, people, like, a bunch of lackeys? Like, that's, that's besides the point, like, you know, yeah. but... Yeah, you're you're working for someone else, but you call yourselves masters. He's like more like slaves, you know. Like yeah. I think he literally says something like that, where he calls them slaves because they're actually working for someone else instead of being, you know, masters of their own destiny. So that's yeah. that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I, it's funny that he still, even though he's embroiled in this scam right now he still has like a proprietary like interest in the name like, oh yeah masters yeah. of evil like yeah so yeah like i i think he understands the power of branding well yeah. so. zemo's like zemo's like i will not tolerate this pose up bullshit you know like he's all upset <laughs> He's like, he's like, he's. I'll, I'll pull a since Justin isn't here. I'll pull a Harlan Ellison. He's like, they stole my idea. Yeah. They stole my idea. Meteorite's <laughs> like, well, you, well, you stole it from your father. And he's like, this is true. This is this is very true. He's like, meteorites trying to psychoanalyze everybody. Yeah, it's good stuff. I think. Nice. I can, I can, like, this is probably, like I said, I think this is probably the second or third issue I ever read of the series, so, like, this is, this is one of those issues that helped me, like, fall in love with it, and, you know, I have a, a, a good, uh, a, a soft spot in my heart for it, and I think it, it it's another, yet another, like, good setup of things that will come into play in the future, and, you know, it's a good, a bunch of foils for the T-bolts, like, moving on, and, you know, yeah, you... yeah, I think I think it's worth praising because, you know, so often, I mean, we will bitch and moan about other writers who will go unnamed where, you know, like, 
team books are just not their forte. You know, like they, they don't they don't take the time to set up dynamics of different characters and how they gel with one another and their their kind of I guess. I'm trying to think of the right word, but their chemistry together, you know, like, like how, synergy. Yeah. Synergy, chemistry, how they sort of play off of, of one another. And, and, and the fact that all the dialogue is not sort of monotone, you know, like where it's like it, the, the dialogue balloon could go to any of the characters and it wouldn't make any difference. But in this case, I think that's untrue. I think all the dialogue is, specifically chosen and and that they set up the the team dynamics of the various characters very well and like you said they're good they're they're setting up some good you know foils for for these teams it's like it's like people try to do things like this and utterly fail like you know i think of stuff like the first issue of young blood where it's like young blood had their their team of of you know antagonists called the four and it's like this Team, the upstart masters makes the four look like amateur night. You know what I mean? In terms of in terms of writing and storytelling and, and all those things we're talking about, chemistry and 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 synergy and dynamics and all that stuff. It's like so it, it, I mean it's easy to take take the work here for granted, but it to me it's it's highly appreciated. And and never mind like all these cool Easter eggs that like he probably when you first read this you had no idea he was throwing all this extra cool stuff into it, you know, and layering it with with stuff that was the foundation of the Marvel universe. Yeah. Another one smaller like uh patented Busick like continuity like patch job or continuity band-aid or whatever um like I don't know what it applies to but I'm certain it's it's intended to apply to something maybe, maybe you know maybe you don't but when Fixer or Techno fights Mankiller he's like aren't you supposed to be dead like so I'm like I'm kind of uh, like okay. I bet whatever her last appearance was like you know she was either killed or it looked like she died or what but, yeah, there's there's a lot of things like that where like things get kind of loosey goosey. Yeah, I don't I don't know like I mean, I know I know she was I know she was in Marvel team up, but like and I know she was in that web of Spider-Man annual, but after that I kind of I'm not sure like where if she got killed off in like Iron Man or some other random random issue or whatever. They 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 put her her angry women's lib movement out of its misery. Like I don't I don't know when that happened, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah, I think that that's. You have anything else to say about this? No, issue? no. I thought I thought it was a great issue. I'm I'm glad. You know, I'm glad we're talking about it. Nice. Okay. Well, we we're gonna take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, we will t- discuss Spider-Man Team Up Number Seven. So stay tuned. Can I get a tall chai? And a large black coffee. And I suppose you are here with no agenda, as per usual. On the contrary, I'm here for comics. I think I can help all of you. Hello, I'm the caffeinated Clinton Robison, and I host a podcast called Coffee and Comics. On this podcast, I summarize, review, and discuss comic book issues, stories, and related media, usually in the span of time it takes to have a cup of coffee. Sometimes I'm joined by a guest, and sometimes I'm flying solo. So pour the coffee, take a sip, and turn up the volume as you listen to the Coffee and Comics Podcast. Available on iTunes, 
Stitcher, and directly on coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com. And remember, this is where the comics are never too old and the coffee is never too cold. Hello and welcome back. Uh, we just heard the first half of our show and now we're moving on to the second. And uh, it's uh, Spider-Man Team-Up number seven. And um, this was... Didn't this book start off with Ben Riley, but then it became like Peter Parker, like it, like you know, three or four issues in, if if I recall correctly. I don't, I don't know. Like this only ran for seven issues. This is this is Peter Parker here with Mary Jane, but like yeah. I I only bought two issues of this when it was like on the stands. I bought issue two because I'm a fan of Silver Surfer and I bought issue five because, well, it has Howard the Duck, but I, I bought it because it was Ben Riley teaming up with Gambit. So as far as I know here, let me just do a quick look over. Like, like, I, I just, I like, yeah, like, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't it, look it, into it, but I vaguely oh, wait, remember wait, wait, that. Wait, 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 wait. And then I, I did just read issue number six because it was, it was part of the whole like I, I I put some some sequences in it to history of comics on film because it it issue six had Dracula in it and that was Peter Parker so basically Ben Riley was in the first five issues as Spider Man and then issue six and seven were Peter Parker so yeah the yeah. answer the answer to your question is yes. That's what I thought, yeah, because I I didn't really read this book like when it was coming out. Like I think I was I was I was buying like all four Spider Man books like at the time, and then like maybe Spider Man Unlimited too. So like I, I was kind of like, well, I don't need one more. Spider-Man I think book, so. I I think Spider Man was kind of dead to me by this point. I'm kind of impressed. I bought the issues of this that I did. Like <laughs> like I, I I can I I can just look around at the issues and it was just like, oh, I I may have bought some of the issues that were coming out like in as back issues but not not when they were on the stands this was i I didn't even know this was like the last issue either yeah like yeah oh i guess it didn't last it was it bi-monthly or um let's see it was let's see issue seven came out in april 1997 and wow and then and then six came out in january 1997 so it looks like it was almost it looks like it was a quarterly book like yeah so i think it only only came out like every quarter because it it started in october 1995 and then it went all the way to april 1997 with seven issues so yeah that makes sense because the first year would have four issues and then you know part of the way you know three more issues or whatever so cool all right, well, you want to give us the uh, lowdown on this one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, yeah, Spider-Man Team-Up, issue number seven. Its publisher, of course, is Marvel Comics. The cover date is June 1997. The on-sale date is April 30th, 1997. The cover price is a holy shit, $2.99. It is a uh, 48-page issue. The writer is Kurt Busick. The penciler is Sal Busima. The inker is Dick Giordano. Uh, the letterer is David Lamphere. The colorist is Tom Smith. And the editor is Tom Brevard. 
The title is called Old Scores. And just for people keeping track, both of these issues were reprinted in Thunderbolt's Justice Like Lightning trade paperback from 2002. And of course, like Justin is fond of saying, I stole my synopsis from spiderfan.org. And here we go. In the wake of the onslaught that wiped out most of Marvel's greatest heroes, including such legendary teams as the Fantastic Four and the Avengers, a new super team called the Thunderbolts has stepped in to fill the void. While earning the trust and admiration of millions, the Thunderbolts have closely guarded their darkest secret. They are, in fact, the villainous masters of evil, biding their time as heroes, earning the trust of the public, and waiting for the perfect moment to strike back against the innocence of the Marvel Universe. Having recently earned the trust of the New York City Mayor's Office, the new team of quote-unquote superheroes, known as the Thunderbolts, are given the task of hunting down and capturing Spider-Man who officials believe is responsible for the late-night murder of a Micron Industries security guard in a Brooklyn warehouse. In truth, however, the men responsible for the attack are actually members of a secret criminal organization called the Enclave, a group of scientific geniuses seeking to rule the world in order to make it a better place. Carlo Zota, who is like a blonde Egon Spangler-looking dude, there's Vladislav Shinsky, who is the all old bald guy with the cane, and there's Maris Morlock, who is the bearded bald guy. The purpose of the warehouse invasion was not murder, but rather the theft of a key piece of equipment that would allow the Enclave to complete their plans for world domination. Eventually, after the obligatory fight between Spidey and the T-Bolts, they eventually track down the Enclave and foil the criminal organization's evil plans. Spidey is once again cleared of all wrongdoing, and the heroes go their separate ways. And that is the sort of ever-so-brief synopsis of Spider-Man Team-Up, issue number seven. I, I guess I have plenty of things to say about this, but uh, I, I guess I'd just start by saying this is actually the first time I read this, because like I said earlier in the first half of the show, the editor's note did not work on me, because I, I did not buy this. The first time I read this was probably in that Justice Like Lightning trade. Okay. Like, like this was an issue that totally... Like, I kind of... I think I pretty much... I didn't forget about it because the the bio modem that the Enclave used becomes like a major plot point like shortly down the road. But and I'm sure I saw some editors note like look for Spider-Man team up number seven to see where this like machine came from or whatever. But I think I just you know I I, I thought about it and then I moved on and then like I didn't even know this issue like had any significance and real significance until I like read it in that trade. Yeah, because I mean. You know, I, I didn't get into the nitty gritty details in the synopsis, but during during the fight, like, yeah, Spider-Man and the Thunderbolts have a fight with one another and they're trying to track him down. There's like a funny bit where, like, I think it's Atlas and, and uh, Citizen V run into J. Jonah Jameson. And at first he's like, you know dang blamed masked men like you're all menaces and stuff and then when atlas shrinks down is like hey look you know and citizen v's like well we're on official business like we're trying to hunt down spider-man because we we hear he's wanted for murder and he's like you're after spider-man you say 
well, you're not so blamed bad after all. You know, like, like he's a menace, I tell you, a menace. You know, and so he goes <laughs> off driving along and everything. I like... I like also when uh, when Peter Parker goes to the bugle and he's like, Jonah likes the Thunderbolts? Like, there's got to be something wrong with them. Yeah, like, like I, I like, you know me, because I, I have my little things that I'm fond of, and, and one of them is that uh, uh, one of uh, the, my favorite Spider-Man ladies is Joy Mercado, so I, I, I get all giddy because Robbie Robertson, like, names name drops her, you know, when, when Peter's there trying to, like, see if he can you know, sell some photos to the bugle and everything after he has that moment where he's like, wait a minute, Jonah likes the Thunderbolts? Like, something must be shady about them then. And, you know, like, but I guess, like, the most important part, which is what we were trying to hint at, but we didn't go into the nitty-gritty details, is, like, basically, during the the fight between the Enclave and, and, and that sort of, you know, Enclave robot and the the... Thunderbolts, like at some point they all kind of get hypnotized, except for Spider-Man because his spider sense kind of negates the radio signal that hypnotizes everybody. And then he kind of clues in Mach 1. He says, look, if you set your helmet to this frequency that's similar to my spider sense, like you too will be able to resist the radio waves that, that the Enclave are you know, airing that that are driving everybody sort of crazy to to assault one another, and so it's kind of like they all have like the hate plague or so, you know something like that, and then and then the basically like Spidey and Mach One negate that with either technology or just you know plain spider sense, and like Beetle's kind of you know I call him Beetle, but it's like Mach One, it's Abe Jenkins, but like he's kind of like scared for his life because at some point it's like all the Thunderbolts are going to turn on him and, like, basically kill him. And, like, he thinks he's done for. And, of course, Spider-Man just kind of nonchalantly, like, does his usual hero shtick. He comes in, swoops in, is is almost textbook Spider-Man. He cracks jokes and kind of picks up Mach 1 and gets him out of Dodge. And Mach 1's just kind of, like, this whole time, you know, and the, it, it, like... He has a terrific character arc in this, and it's like it's almost like I'm like, oh, it's a damn shame I never got to read this when it was coming out, because like he he goes through like a hundred eighty degree turn because at the beginning of it, like he's almost giddy about oh, Spider Man's wanted for murder, and we're the good guys, and I can like kick Spider Man's ass and like you know totally like maim and kill him if I want to, but you know, it's, it's, it's legal now, you know, like it's, it's because I'm on the side of the angels and he's not like, this is going to be great. This is going to be such great payback for the guy who's, who's basically shut me down at every turn in my criminal career. And by the end of it, it's like Spider-Man has saved his life and he, he, he kind of feels like he owes him a Wookiee life debt. And like, I think, you know, throughout the whole course of the piece, the attitude is, well, we can't we can't blame Spider-Man for this now so the public trusts us because we're going to reveal the real you know party that's at fault for this which is this kind of enclave like I don't know it's it's like this robot and since Sal Basima is the one that's drawing it it's like it kind of reminds me of like Rom meets the Super Adaptoid cuz it's like it kind of has that glint to it kind of like Rom had like his robotic kind of form and then like the green tint kind of reminds me of the Super Adaptoid cuz they're both kind of like robots and stuff Yeah that that's pretty much what I was thinking of Yeah and like and like he you know essentially like 
like by the end of it, he's kind of like, look, you know, uh, you know, techno, do you have like the, the, the video cam footage from, from this whole battle? And he just kind of takes it and gives it to Spidey and says, look, this will totally clear you, dude. Like you're all good, bro. Like, you know, and, 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 I guess he tries to play it off in front of like Citizen V, Zemo, and the and you know Atlas, you know, and the others, you know, is like, well, you said that we need to keep up appearances, and you know, if Spider Man was incarcerated, but he knew he was innocent, you know, he'd keep trying to dig and uncover something about us, you know. So he's like, it's better off that we, you know, we clear his name so that he trusts us now too, and then when we strike, you know, it's like he's unawares as well, and you know they all kind of buy that as the explanation, except for like you know, Moonstone or Meteorite, you know, like she kind of comes up to the roof and is like, I can see you're upset, and it's like, is it about Spider Man? And he's kind of like, well, yeah, like he's like, I was all ready to, you know, kind of do him in for good, and you know, I kind of realized he's a good guy and he was just trying to do the right thing by me. And he's like, I couldn't not do the right thing back by him. And he's like, Oh shit, this hero thing is kind of contagious. Like, and, and then you realize like why he's, you know, he, he's kind of got that newfound vigor, even with songbird, you know, like where he's like, he's kind of, he's kind of like, Oh, I'm kind of into this. Like, this is, this is the first instance of a member of the Thunderbolts, like actually slipping into their, you know, their, their, um, misdirection or their their you know their, their undercover role like is actually you know it's like it's like they're, they're they're he's going a little too deep like where it's becoming a part of him more than just an act so I I, I was kind of surprised that I had never read this before you know and I, I thought it was yeah. a really, really good issue I mean you know the, it's like it, I guess you can't go wrong with with Sal Basima on Spider-Man you know it seems like traditional kind of Spider-Man art, like, there's a lot of dynamic action and, you know, people, like, backhanding people and flying all across the pages and stuff like that. Like, all that stuff is kind of great. I think the the only thing, like, that that kind of bummed me out, I think, was some of the coloring. Because, like, there's, there's this page on page 20, and it's, like, when Mach 1 and Songbird first go after Spider-Man, and the way they eventually kind of trip him up is Songbird projects, like, a, you know, one of the sound images of, like, a brick wall in front of Spider-Man, and he bangs into it, you know, despite his spider sense, because it sort of comes out of nowhere, you know, and he can't avoid running into it. But it's, like, it's kind of colored like a brick wall. And I was just kind of like, but that's, you know, like, he didn't run into a brick wall. He ran into, like, a construct that, like, you know, Songbird made. Yeah. So I was like, oh, if, a- if that was colored, like, kind of like that, that sonic pink color, you know, then, then I think that would have been a better served for that, yeah. that panel. But I mean, other I think, than that, I, I think the art was really good. I was going to say like the colors, like, and maybe the inks too, like kind of like, I don't know, like I love Sal Busema, but for some reason, I think this issue was kind of like a weaker performance from him. And like, I don't know if that's because the colors and the inks kind of muted some of his like pencils or what, but like, yeah, like I I noticed the brick wall and also like like some of the color choices I thought were odd. Well, not odd, but like I don't know, like obvious. Like when Mach One shoots the gas-filled missile at 
Spider-Man, and the missile itself is, like, green, like the gas, and I'm like, well, I guess that's a visual cue that that's, like, a gas missile, but, like, I was like, wouldn't it make more sense the missile was just colored, like, silver or gray, and then it explodes into, like, the green gas, but... I don't know, it just seemed like a weird choice, like almost like a almost like an obvious choice, but it ill fitting. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned you thought maybe the inks didn't work with the art and the coloring didn't work exactly with the pencils in this cuz you know, this was kind of in a in a period where like I, I remember when they had Sal Buscema and it was like it kind of looked a little more experimental cuz like Klaus Janssen would be the inker and stuff, so it wouldn't be as kind of streamlined or whatever but like dick giordiano is like very much a streamlined you know thick line kind of inker so it's like almost like maybe the two styles were like at odds with one another you know like like maybe sal was trying to get into that you know scratchy experimental dynamic kind of like blah thing and giordiano was kind of still trying to do his thick like standard line so maybe Maybe that worked against it, I guess. You know what I forgot to mention was um, the cover was by Steve Lytle. So, and that's, I I mean, I like Steve Lytle. I think he's a really good artist. So, I mean, I you know, the cover's, the cover's all right. I mean, it's not like the most dynamic cover in the world, but it's a good cover. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like you said, though, like, this is a pretty, like, seismic and important, like, character moment for, like, Abe Jenkins and, like... I think I I didn't read this issue when it originally came out, like I said, but I did read it like I, I'm pretty sure I acquired that trade in my like mad rush of like, I think it was like 2004 to like get up to speed on Thunderbolts again and buy every single issue I had missed. And like I bought that trade as part of it, and I was like, oh cool! Like I, like I, I, I kind of like pushed that the fact that they were in this like issue like out of my mind. But now that it's here, like it is a really like important issue. And yeah, like, yeah. Like and and the um like I said, the bio modem that takes control of people's minds becomes like a major major plot point in like I think it, starting in issue eleven. So, like, yeah, the, this is a pretty important issue, and it kind of, like, almost went by the wayside with probably, like, many people because it wasn't in the main, like, book. So, let me ask you this. Like, do you think the hot babes that were sunbathing on the roof that Atlas passed by, do you think those were Randy and Bambi? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Like, because... What other, what other sunbathing babes, like, on rooftops? That, like, that would be, that New would York, be, yeah, yeah, that would be in, like, Spider-Man's neighborhood or whatever. Like yeah. I, I, they don't call them by name or anything. But if I, if I had to, if I had to put a, you know, put a character to the to the story, and since Spider Man's in the issue, I feel like I'm gonna I'm gonna call back to Randy and Bambi, where they're like, give me, like, give us your autograph. <laughs> you know, if if one of us ever writes a Spider Man story, we'll have uh Peter return to his old like apartment, like that Miss Muggins like owned, <laughs> and then he can he can go up to the roof and it'll be like, who the hell wrote Atlas? Yeah, the, like on the roof here. Like, <laughs> you know you know what else is great that, that that that's one of these like music like old school continuity nods is the Enclave because like those guys are literally. The, the the guys who like made Adam Warlock pretty much. I mean in, in Fantastic Four and stuff. Like that's who those guys are. So it's like this is kind of like a callback. And then speaking of like this this isn't like Busick like retconning that they're still alive or anything, but like in the original story it seemed like 
when Adam Warlock left to like planes unknown, it was like the fantastic, the fantastic four, like jumped through the portal just in the nick of time. And then those three guys are like, Oh shit, we'll never make it in time. And like everything explodes and stuff. So you're like thinking to yourself, cause I remember like, th- this is kind of like revealing for me, but it's like when I really got into the whole, I don't know how to explain it. Like I was, I knew what back issues were. I had been buying back issues for a long time and I even targeted like certain back issues based on characters and stuff. Like, because I had like, say the Hobgoblin Mattel secret wars figure and I love the Hobgoblin. And then, you know, I went back and was like, well, when does the Hobgoblin first appear? And, you know, I would buy like amazing two thirty eight and two thirty nine and like follow the whole Hobgoblin saga. And I kept buying like, all of Hobgoblin's appearances, you know, going through like the comics, you know, buyer's price guide, trying to figure out like, where did these guys first appear and try to track back issues down that way. But like this, it's like getting fantastic Four, like 66 and 67 and like Thor, like 165 and 166. Like I remember going to WonderCon and like, specifically wanting those issues. And I don't know, I'm I'm trying to remember if something like wizard was out by then or what, but like something basically was like, Oh, this was when infinity gauntlet was coming out and Adam Warlock came back to life in silver surfer. So like, I, I feel like I was sort of being fed the, the, I, I don't know how to explain it, but it's like, I, I don't know why that would benefit anybody, but like a comic book retailer who was, charging an inflated price for a back issue. But I mean, it was a classic, those were classic back issues at the time. And I don't think, I mean, these days they probably go for a lot more money, but I'm, I'm sure I paid like maybe, you know, to me at the time, it was like, Oh, Holy crap. I paid like 20 bucks for that or whatever, you know, like something like now you'd like, you'd laugh your ass off. Cause it's like nothing. Right. But like, you know, like, but I, I remember specifically kind of tracking down issues because like I was, I don't know. I, I feel like I was like manipulated. I'm like, cause I was told to, but it's like, I, I, I don't know how to explain it. It was like one of those things where it's like, Oh, like I kind of want to know like where Adam Warlock came from. So like, I wanted to, you know, and it's like, it's like, I, I think I, I, you know, beyond just liking the Hobgoblin and getting his first appearance, this was more like, Oh, this is a new story I'm supposed to get into. So it was like the hype for infinity gauntlet sort of informed the way I would purchase my back issues, I guess. So it's like, as opposed to nowadays, like when like a new movie comes out and it informs people like, Oh, you know, Deadpool's the new hot movie star. Like, Oh, everybody run out and, you know, overcharge people up the fucking wazoo for like new mutants 98, you know, like slap them in a CGC thing and charge like, you know, 800 bucks for it or whatever insane thing they do. Right. I don't know that that was necessarily part of the back issue market back then, but me, my mentality as a collector was in that vein. If, if say Infinity Gauntlet, the the summer crossover event was the hot new blockbuster movie, I was like, well, looking back at like, well, what what else do I need to get sort of caught up to speed? And that was one of those things. And it's funny because that's why I guess I I just went into that kind of tangent is because that's kind of why I remember the Enclave guys. And so they they sort of stood out to me in this as well, because I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, it's like one of those things where you're like sitting there going, oh, I remember those jerkwads. Like, you know, they, they I was like, they were in Thor and Fantastic Four. And like they, they sort of made. But like w- the thing that kind of weirded me out was I was like, why are they still alive? Like, because I thought he kind of blew them up at the end of that, you know, the, the issue and everything. And like 
then um, I was looking, and I guess they show up again in Incredible Hulk, and they kind of, like, retcon it. Because it's like they show up in Incredible Hulk, and I think they invite, like, because I think it was, like, partially, like, a Defenders thing. Because they invite Stephen Strange, like, to their, their um, you know, enclave or whatever. You know, their, 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 you know, secret base or whatever. And they, like, sort of go into their whole backstory, which kind of, like, you know, synopsizes, like you know, the, the Fantastic Four and Thor issues, because that was, like, their previous appearances. But then, like, at the end of it, like, instead of saying, and then the Fantastic Four jumped through a portal and we all blew up and died, because that's kind of what happened. Like, instead, they're like, thanks to the Fantastic Four, luckily, we're alive. But, like, if you read the issue of the Fantastic Four, like, Reed Richards is like, fuck this, these guys. Like, let's go through the <laughs> portal and get the fuck out of here. Those guys. You know, because like, I'm like, they didn't save those guys. Like, they, it's like they fucking jumped through the portal and then the end of the issue is like, and I'm more like, like, flying away. And then those guys are like, we're not going to make it in time. And it's like, next <laughs> issue, the thing gets like a trench coat, you know? And I was like, That's, that, they didn't save them. So, yeah. Oh. Like, I had never heard of these guys before, or I think even after this issue. So, like, that's, thank you, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's what I've got you here for. Like, again, to tell me these things. But the, the one thing I laughed about them was, um, at the end of the issue where they, they trigger the, like, omni-retrieval of all their, like, junk. And, like, it, it kind of creates a cyclone in the room that sweeps up all their machines and, like, drags them through the portal it's like I'm I'm kind of like I kind of want to see the other end of that where it's like you know they're at their they're at their base and like they're, all their machines are in a giant like pile and they're like oh now we gotta like we got now we gotta like clean this up but yeah that's 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 pretty funny and uh, yeah like I I don't like did they use like a sort of adaptoid like type thing in their other appearance or no because they they made adam warlock so they made him and then and then i think i, I don't know if it was in the incredible hulk issue or I, i'm trying to remember i think it was like maybe a later fantastic four issue but then i think they were around when they made you know her like as well oh, like yeah. so it's like it's like they were they were around for like all that kind of stuff like i think their whole goal was like we're gonna build a master race and then we're gonna like control that master race and like rule the world and you know basically like we're gonna be I guess, you know, if, let me put it this way, if, if you buy into the whole, you know, 1% versus the 99%, like they considered themselves the 1% of scientists. So it's like when, when Jeff Loeb and all those guys did that story about the intelligentsia, like these guys probably should have been on the intelligentsia, but they weren't because nobody remembers who they were. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, like, but Kurt Busiek. Yeah, yeah. So that's funny. Now, the other funny part I thought was um, when Mach 1 gives Spider-Man, like, the recording of the Enclave and stuff, I thought I thought it was going to be, like, like Megatron's master plan or something, where, like, Spider-Man's like, oh, there's more to this tape. Like, let me rewind a little further, and it, it'd be like, it'd, like, rewind all the way back to, like, Thunderbolt's base, oh. and, like, <laughs> Citizen V would be, like, taking off his mask. He's like, I am Baron Zemo! And it's like... <laughs> It's like, oh, well, you just incriminated yourself on this crappy recording you gave to me or whatever. Well, well, there is that there's that cool moment where, like, Abe has to, like, get through to Citizen V by kind of, like, you know, needling his ego where he's like, 
you know, I thought you were a master. Like, like, why are you letting yourself get mind controlled this way? Like, why are you being a chump? And like, he keeps smacking him around. And there's, there's that really cool panel where like, eventually Citizen V, like, it's like, you know, Mach, Mach 5 is going to continuously like slap him back and forth. And when, when he does, when he finally snaps out of it, that, that sort of right handed slap, like he catches it mid slap and it's like, enough, you have convinced me. It's like, I am not a chump, you know, like, you know, do not slap your leader, you know, like that kind of thing. So, you know, yeah, I, that, I, that, that was pretty awesome. Yeah, I, I like this issue. Like, I, like, you know, like I, I said, like Sal Buscema is probably one of my like favorite comic book artists of all time. But I don't know, just like his his artwork in this issue. I don't know what it was, but it seemed a little weaker than usual to me. But otherwise... I mean, like, it still had all the, like, the energy and, like, he does great action scenes and stuff, but, like, I don't know what it was, but it looked a little off to me, but, you know, it's not a deal breaker. Like, I, I, I do like this issue, and I think it, it went a long way to cementing, like, Abe Jenkins, like, Mach 1, like, as one of my favorite cast members mm. of the Thunderbolts. Yeah, I can totally, you know, I can totally see that. Like, this, this is for Abe Jenkins, like, that issue of Marvel Team-Up is for for you know sandman you know like when he when he did the whole william baker bit and was kind of like leaning towards you know being like a decent human being like this is this is like that or like when when like you know heat wave kind of goes good in the wally west flash comics and stuff it's like this is like a, a big turnaround moment for him yeah and this is like sort of a version of like rival fusion too where you know it's like mach one and spider-man have to fight like back to back yeah like, yeah yeah and, you know, it is like, it is we're we're seeing the the nascent origins of rival fusion right yeah. in front of our eyes the yep. young yeah. michael was reading this issue and then all of a sudden it clicked it's like this is rival fusion it's, this is definitely this is definitely one of those points i can point to where i'm like man i really like when that happens uh what, what else was i gonna say um uh there was something something else related to the beetle now i forgot what it was um how he looks all like suave and like manly and heroic and shit when he's like leaning up on the the, the <laughs> roof at the end there where he's like yeah moonstone i'm i'm the man now and heroism is contagious and check out my cool 90s ponytail <laughs> i was about to say yeah this cool 90s ponytail yeah <laughs> like i'm the man i like oh like i like that part where he's like like songbirds like man you're really hot for this aren't you like you know and mach one's kind of like i know for a fact that spider-man is innocent of this because mm. this is something it's like i know him better than like anyone yeah. like you know his enemies know him better than anyone and like he would never do this so i know he's gonna try and like clear his name like you know, you know what I do like about the art in this? Like, you know what my favorite panel is? Is when they're doing that, that practice, like, faux danger room session that that Fixer slash Techno made, and they're, they're doing their training session, and then, you know, Songbird gets hit, and, like, she starts falling, and then, and then Mach 1, you know, Abe catches her. I love the panel after he catches her, where, like, this was the other part where I was like, oh, she's totally into his Johnson. Like, she's she's into it. Like, because it's like, you, you know what's funny about that is, like, that's the one part where Dick Giordano's inks work on this. Because it's like, you could tell, like, he always drew, like, 
wonderful looking women. And like, I, I don't know if I'm just attributing it to him, but it's like, she just has this look of like total, like adoration on her face, you know? And I was just kind of like, the dialogue's kind of cheesy where it's like, you're always there for me. And he's like, you bet I am hon, you know? And it's like, kind of <laughs> sounds like dumb, but like yeah. the, the, the look sells the whole thing where it's like yeah. she totally like, she totally is just kind of like her eyes are totally fixated on him. And I'm like, Oh cool. Like that's, that was like another key moment, I think, in their relationship where you're like, oh, yeah, she's totally like like now she knows this this guy has her back like all the time and she's totally yeah. into him at this point. And it, it's it's a little thing, but I, I feel like it's lost like all too often in modern times. But like the fact that the biomodem doesn't work on Spider-Man because of his spider sense, like that's just classic like Spider-Man, like appropriate, like you know, fan aura. Right, like, right, you know, right. Like, that's, like, I feel like, you know, if this was written in a modern times, it's like Spider-Man would be, like, you know, taken over immediately. Durr, and, like, yeah, and be durr, and, like, yeah, and be, like, brain... He'd be brainwashed for the entire issue, and then, you know, someone would knock him out of it, and then he'd be mad about it. He, and, you know, he'd actually, about he, it. instead yeah. of just, like, smacking Mary Jane around, he'd turn into, like, a a merry-go-round turnstile and like just smack like his entire family and on on yeah. and yeah. Uh, you know freaking Aunt May or whatever it's like yeah. sorry and, like that's just you know and even if he was forced to fight all the T-bolts like on his own like you'd think he would put a pretty good showing too like 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 unlike like I guess what we were saying about Black Widow you yeah. say that yeah. you know Spider-Man could take on all Oh yeah yeah like, I could totally once. see him yeah. pulling a like and much to the chagrin of all the 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 x fans like i could see him pulling a secret wars 3 and like totally making the thunderbolts look like dumbasses you know like and then yeah. like web swinging away at the end when like professor x is like it's time for you to stop kicking my kids asses thank you <laughs> you know yeah. and they go away you know like so yeah and I, I do like, like, he kind of, when he's fighting Mach 1, he's kind of like, you know, there's something, like, familiar about the way this mm -hmm. guy fights, yeah. but I can't, and it's like, it's actually throwing me off. Yeah, so you're like, like you're I like, it's right but... on the tip of my tongue, like, I, I, but I can't place it, you know? And that's probably why he runs into that brick wall. So yeah, yeah, because like, yeah. he's so focused on, where do I know this fucking asshole from? Yeah, yeah. but... Yeah, you know, like, again, like, we, we praise him every single, like, issue he writes, but it's like, Kurt Busiek knows his stuff. Yeah, 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 it's he, good he stuff. He knows exactly what all, how all these characters tick, and he knows exactly, like, who to make cool, and, you know, who can, like, you know, job for the moment, and who can, you know, basically, like, I, I think he's always had a really good handle on that. Yeah, so. yeah, for sure. Yeah, so, like, I, I, I think we both really like this issue, we were both, you know... We both had our, our praises, and we both had, like, a couple negatives. But, you know, the praises, I think, you know, the praise outweighs that. And uh, I'm glad we, uh, we we discussed it. I'm like, I give Thunderbolts 3 five zer goods out of five zer goods. I give Spider-Man Team-Up number seven four zer goods out of five zer goods. <laughs> because I was mind-controlled for most of it, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a bullshit. So yeah, like that that was uh Justice not entirely dissimilar to Lightning episode number 4. So uh why don't you plug the rest of our stuff? Yeah, so if you've enjoyed listening to Justice not entirely dissimilar to Lightning, we hope you check out all of our other shows on the Fanholes network. We've got the Fanholes 
podcast proper. We've got Fanholes Comics, motherfucker. Do you read them? Where we talk about comics like these. We've got Mobile Suit Mondays. We've got Toku Thursdays. We've got Transformers Tuesdays, Sentai Saturdays. And we've got Big in Japan, where we talk about anime. So if you've liked any of the other shows, you know, please consider checking those out. As If you like this show, please consider checking out the other shows as well. And, of course, we're on all kinds of social media. And we're on, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, Twitter. So, you know, we appreciate all the likes, feedback, shares, retweets, etc. And, yeah. Thank you, Derek. Yeah, so uh, until next time, this is Mike uh, signing off. And this is Derek signing off. It's a man, baby, and men are dirt. Leave my old life behind. Not a yes, sir. Not a follower. Fit the box, fit the mold, have a seat in the foyer. Take a number. I was lightning before the thunder. Thunder, thunder. mutated half ambiguous art error tiger shark guy yes it's like it's like the reason why you don't know me is i'm lame and i was like spider woman's bad guy (laughs) flying tiger you know like 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 he has like a tiger head in this but i could have sworn like in a later issue of this or maybe something else where he just shows in a group shot of villains that he has like a tiger like his it's the setup is kind of like the man ape where he has like, oh. a tiger and his, his yeah, yeah. face is in the like, in, like mouth. In, in that yeah in spider woman it's more kind of like like a hawk man thing you know like the golden age hawk man how like he kind of had the hawk but you could still see like his his mouth and his chin kind of you know what i mean like like in the, in those early issues you could tell like there was a dude under the the tiger mask flying tiger uh i don't think we'll be seeing him in any movies anytime soon but so. I, uh, Dude, he's he's gonna be on Agents of Shield next week, man. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. What's yeah. Talking about, it's like Max gonna like lay him out, you know. Yo Yo's gonna like you know, super speed him into the fucking brick. I know. Wall. I was gonna say like all Songbird should have done to beat Claw was make a giant pink cuttlefish. <laughs> it's like I I don't like to cuttlefish. You have interrupted our game of patty cake. <laughs> What are you doing to Songbird? He's like, what is love? (laughs) Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. (laughs) Can you hear my dog, like, going crazy? A little bit. A little bit faintly in the background.
Oh, okay. Let me just let me just grab them and tell them to shut the fuck up because it's getting my nerves. But I'll be right back. Tiger shark. I will be back. <laughs> Tiger shark. All right. Got you. You will be back. Hey, shut the fuck up! Come on. And and this is a test to see if I'm recording while muted. Why won't this work, you stupid Pamela bitch ass shit?